Welcome to the Midwest Film Nerds Podcast. I'm Alex. I'm Tim. I'm Willie. I'm Nick. Today we get to sit down and talk to legendary character actor Stephen Tobolowsky, and then we're going to do a full review of Gareth Evans' The Raid 2, or The Raid Barandal, or The Raid 2 Barandal, depending on where you saw it. <laughs> Uh, before we get to any of that, feedback at MidwestFilmNerds.com. Please write us, let, you, let us know what you think of the show. You can go to MidwestFilmNerds.com to find all of our uh, previous episodes. We've got, this is episode 72, so there's 71 other episodes, plus a bunch of bonus episodes that you can go back and listen to. We also have full show notes on there. You can skip over anything that you don't want to listen to. But uh, speaking of things that you should want to listen to... Uh, Willie and Nick and I got to sit down and chat with Stephen Tobolowsky, one of the that guy that you know from everything, basically, uh, about his upcoming Kickstarter project, uh, the Primary Instinct, as well as uh, many other. He regaled us with many tales of his uh, career. So we're gonna get right into that right now, and uh, we'll see you on the other side with our review of the Raid Two. We've got a special guest with us today. You've seen him in such films as Memento and Groundhog Day and countless other movies uh, and TV shows as well. Legendary character actor Stephen Tobolowsky. Stephen, how are you doing today? I am doing fine. Am I really the stuff of legends? I, I believe you are. I, I think I, I so. Mean, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know about that. that I, uh, you're, one of those, you're one of those people where I feel as though you can say, oh, you know, Stephen Tobolowsky, he's got this great podcast and everything, and then they're like, I don't know if I know him, and then you show them a picture of you, and then they're like, oh my god, I've seen him in everything. So <laughs> Yeah, I literally had that conversation with my fiancé today. There you go. Like, today. It was amazing. I, I was in Starbucks, and somebody stopped me, and they said, you know, does anybody ever tell you you look like that actor? <laughs> and I said, they do, they do. In fact, I am, I am that actor. And the guy looked at me and goes, nah. Fucked <laughs> up. Oh, uh, well. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody's seen at least something. Yeah. My brother and I are Seinfeld junkies. Uh, and we yeah. quote your character in Seinfeld all the time. <laughs> all the time. Do, do, you know, do you know the story of how that character evolved? No. Of tour. I don't know if that's of any interest to you, but... Um, 100%. <laughs> I, was, I was doing a movie at the time called Calendar Girl. And in that movie, uh, Kurt Fuller plays my deaf, mute uh, brother. We're mafia guys. And so I had to... Uh, Columbia, Sony, whatever, at the time, whatever the studio was called at the time, had paid for me to take sign language of the deaf... Uh, lessons. And about that time, about the time I started those lessons, Mark Hirschfeld, who was the casting director of Seinfeld, called me up and said, Stephen, we're, we're having trouble with this part. We're doing this show called Seinfeld. I don't know if you've ever heard of Jerry Seinfeld. I go, oh, yeah. He's a great stand-up. I saw him when I was a kid in Dallas, Texas on Halloween. He's hysterical. He says, well, there's a part that we want to see if you could come over and make it funny. So I rode my bicycle over to CBS Radford, which was right, is right down the street. And I parked, and Jerry was there, and Mark was there. And, said, and Jerry's going, so this guy, he's kind of a, you know, he's kind of a health nut, kind of a faith healer kind of a thing. How, how would you approach the part? And I said, well, what would happen? And I'm thinking, I'll use the signed language of the deaf stuff. And I said, oh, what happens if I use hand gestures for everything I say? And, of course, I didn't really know real gestures then, but I knew the concept of gestures. So I just started making up hand gestures for the scene. And Jerry goes, okay, yeah, that's funny. 
All right. So that's kind of how Tor Eklund came to be uh, awesome. in that show. I was I always wondered that because la- the other night, last night or two nights ago, I actually looked up uh, the script for the episode, and there's no direction in the script whatsoever. <laughs> and I remember thinking, I was like, how did he come up with like the repeated this and everything? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's so good. It's such something so simple, and you could tell the studio audience caught on to why it was so funny. Yeah, so, sign uh, language of the deaf. Yeah, the, everybody really enjoyed it, and. Uh, I've been kind of friends off and on with Jason Alexander ever since and uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. I ended up doing a few of those uh, uh, new old Christines, which was mm-hmm. just a hysterical show. It is Such there. great writing on that show. So uh, it was a nice contact to make at the time. Absolutely. That's awesome. Very cool. Very cool. Thank you for that, that story. That's awesome. Yo, yo. Um, so... Uh, yeah, kind of before we get into your storytelling Kickstarter and how that came about, and uh, I just kind of figured we had a few other questions for you, kind of some general stuff, and if we get lost down the path as you answer the question, then that's fine as well. So, um, as as an actor, do you have any kind of major influences in terms of other actors or, or movies or directors or even, you know, books? Just what has influenced you as an actor? You know, it's one of those questions that I always say it's not algebra, but it's more like calculus. It's not filling in the unknown blank, but it it traces the curve. It it changes throughout your life. When I was a little kid and I wanted to be an actor, I really loved Jimmy Stewart. Loved Jimmy Stewart and Jimmy Stewart movies and Gary Cooper. I loved Gary Cooper. And then as I went into college, you know, all college guys, we love Marlon Brando. We <laughs> love our Brando. And Montgomery Clift. And then our love of Shakespeare took us to Laurence Olivier, Frank Finlay, uh, uh, Paul Schofield, uh, Ralph Richardson, all of those great English actors. And, and we would watch those acting techniques uh, of those guys. But as I grew older, I became influenced a lot by different writers and different directors rather than actors because I became hep to the idea that act something Marlon Brando said in one of the Playboy interviews is that he says acting is worthless because an actor is never in control of the finished product. Mm-hmm. And he is so true. And, <laughs> and, and, and and you see over and over in films that so much of it depends on what they leave in, what they cut out. But I became influenced very much by different writers and different directors. I became influenced a lot by uh, Ridley Scott. Uh, I became influenced by Alan Parker. He was one of my favorite directors at the beginning of my career. Not just when I did Mississippi Burning, but I was kind of awestruck by Alan Parker and his body of work before I did Mississippi Burning, the the range of work he did and his approach to kind of... I had an acting teacher, Ed K. Martin, and Ed K. Martin said that anger is like a manhole cover. It's it's a secondary emotion for actors, and, and male actors always like to go for the anger, but it's really a manhole cover that protects hurt that's underneath it and that's what people are afraid to get to is what hurts them and i remember how alan parker in movies like shoot the moon and uh you know the commitments uh he was always able to kind of 
rip off that manhole cover and take a look at the hurt underneath. And, and I, I became very much influenced by writers, great writers, that also kind of presented truth in certain ways. And that became more of my acting influence in a strange way, like Charles Dickens and George Eliot. And then they ended up becoming my writing influences as well, just by the way they dealt with truth. That's very interesting. Um, I, you brought up Alan Parker, and I was listening to, uh, I was catching up on the Tobolowsky files. You talked about how he kind of brought you under his wing during yeah. Mississippi Burning. Yeah. So that kind of leads into to my next question. Do you kind of have anything planned as your next venture into directing or even writing uh, I, in the future? I'm writing, I'm writing uh, my second book for Simon & Schuster now. It is due in December which means it will be published sometime in the next 20 or 30 years. Uh, publishing moves so slowly. I mean, all of us here, we're talking on Skype. You guys are in Detroit. I'm in L.A. We make this connection in a second. Yep. Uh, publishing doesn't realize how fast the world moves now. It moves very, very slowly. Once I turned the book in, in and I'll talk in a second about the book, once you turn the book in in December, the editor reads it, which can take three to four months. And then he sends back a series of notes, and you have in kind two months or so to answer those notes, and you send a new copy of the book back. He reads it again. You get the idea. Then you send it back again. Now, this is just the editor. Then it goes to the copy editor twice, <laughs> who goes through fact-checking to make sure. Uh, for example, in my first book, Dangerous Animals Club, I went to school at the University of Illinois at Champaign-Urbana, mm -hmm. right? Simple fact. Uh-uh, not anymore. Now it's called Urbana-Champaign. Uh, <laughs> they switched it. And, and I said, no, 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 call it Champaign-Urbana because that's what it was when I was there. And they go and they check every tiny little fact. But, but the book I'm writing now, I'm calling My Adventures with God. And what it is about is everybody whether you have any kind of religious beliefs or not, everybody, I realize, is completely beholden to believing in something invisible. And I talk about it in Dangerous Animals Club in the story of my mother called The Alchemist and on the podcast. Mm -hmm. All of us, no matter when, where, whether it be luck, whether it be science, whether it be that rabbit's foot, some sort of token we have. We all have these beliefs in the invisible. So what I did is I'm writing a series of true stories, like in Dangerous Animals Club, where I track my relationship with the invisible. From when I was a little kid, going to Sunday school and the things I believed in Sunday school, to becoming a man in college and falling in love and not believing in anything like that. But I did believe in the invisible just the same. Uh, I believed in the gods of sex, drugs, and rock and roll very <laughs> strongly. And, uh, and, and following that path, I'm basing the stories. This sounds very weird, but I'm basing the stories on the template of the Old Testament because I've noticed that kind of follows everybody's life. All of us have these powerful stories from when we were kids, like Genesis. Then we all escape into slavery, whether it be school or our first jobs or whatever. And then we make a statement in the middle of our life saying, no, this is what I want to do 
like Leviticus. And then we find ourselves lost in the wilderness for 40 years, hoping to get into a promised land, and we may or may not get in. So that is kind of the template of how the stories go. That sounds fascinating. I'm, I'm pretty excited for that. <laughs> Most of them are funny, though. Most of them are funny. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, some of the biblical stuff takes a little bit of a harsh turn. <laughs> yeah, you know it. It, uh, but 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 you know sometimes <laughs> I don't know about you, but sometimes life takes a few harsh turns. But that could be funny too. That's true too. Harsh, true. you slipping on a banana. Nothing funnier than that. <laughs> What's the Mel Brooks quote? The uh, falling in the sewer is funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forgot what. What tragedy is cutting his paper cut on his fingers? Tragedy falling into an open sewer is funny. Yes. Like that. <laughs> it's an old, old, old quote. Oh, well, speaking of uh, Mel Brooks, and you, you of course, uh, one of my favorite roles of yours is a pretty small part in, in uh, Spaceballs. Uh, the, the captain of the guard. I absolutely yes, love captain that scene. Captain of the guard. Yes. I, uh, I was doing a play at the time with uh, Bill Pullman. Uh, with my wife, Annie, Annie, we were not married at the time, but we were playing husband and wife. It was a show called Barabbas, and Bill Pullman was playing the outlaw Barabbas, and my I was playing Pontius Pilate, and my wife was playing Mrs. Pilate. Talk <laughs> about that for a name, Mrs. Pilate. <laughs> but Mel Brooks came to see the show, and afterwards he said, Hey, you know, we have this part, and... Uh, Bill is in the movie Spaceballs, and we have this part, and maybe uh, you would be right. You want to come in and audition. So I went in to audition for Captain of the Garden. I worked with Mel for about an hour. And then he says, you got the part. Good, <laughs> we'll do the part. You got the part. And uh, he told me that Frank Langella was going to play the part, but then he turned it down and backed out of it, Did, didn't want to do it anymore. And they were going to pay me. $1,000 for the one day of work I was going to do Captain of the Guard. And I was so thrilled. <laughs> I mean, I was doing theater, and theater paid a princely about $400 a week. So $1,000 for one day was just a taste of what, like, movies would be. And so I showed up on Monday, and we did not shoot. And he said, well, come back tomorrow. What do you see tomorrow? So I came back Tuesday, did not shoot. Wednesday, did not. Thursday, did not. Friday, we shot the scene. And I said, well, you know, I came all these other days. Uh, what about those days? Oh, so, oh, you get paid for all the days. I said, I get paid $1,000 for just showing up. So I got paid $5,000 for uh, head of the guard there, captain of the guard. When I was doing the Broadway show in New York, uh, uh, mornings at 7, 2002, I was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, whatever the, Best Actor in a Featured Role, whatever they call the Tony Award, against Frank Langella. <laughs> and, he won, by the way. And, and we were at the Tony party before the show. And I said, Frank, you know, you were so instrumental in my getting my foot in the door with movies because... Uh, Mel Brooks said you were going to play captain of the guard in Spaceballs, and you backed out of the role. You didn't want to do the role, and I got it. And Frank goes, that's a lie. That's a lie. I was never going to do that part. I don't know who made that up. I was never going to do it at all. So somewhere there is a crossing of, of the truth, which, you know, we could talk about this. Truth, you know, truth. Uh, 
one of the things in the podcast, in the Tobolowsky files, I always kind of insist on with David Chen is that the stories be true because I've always found that true always trumps clever. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the issue is everybody likes to challenge and they go like, well, how do we know that's really true? And my point of view is is that what I do and what I consider true is not necessarily journalistically true. It's true as to what happened in my life mm-hmm. and the way I saw it. And uh, who is your audience? Can I tell a story that's a bit uh, maybe uncomfortable? Stephen, you can tell whatever story you yes. okay. like to tell. Okay, this is a bit uncomfortable. So anyway, I have a dear friend of mine, Jean Palmer. She's a publisher in New York. And about 15 years ago, we were walking in the rain in New York after lunch, and the rain picked up, and we were in Chinatown, and we jumped into a theater on Canal Street. And Gene and I jumped in the theater, and we saw this movie. So this last year, Gene called me up and said, Stephen, didn't we go to a movie together uh, down in Chinatown like about 10, 15 years ago? I'll go, yeah, Gene, yeah, we, we did. She said, do you remember what that movie is about at all? And I go, yeah, Gene, I, I remember. It was, uh, all, it was all Chinese. It was a Chinese film with no subtitles. They only spoke in Chinese. It was a costume drama that took place in the 1800s, so everyone was wearing kind of moo-moos and flip-flops, and they had little ponytails in the back. Uh, the first scene, the hero gets his penis cut off with a samurai sword, and... The doctor, local doctor in town, cuts off the penis of a rapist and attaches it to our hero. He goes throughout the rest of the movie uh, with the penis taking over his body and attacking various women in the village uh, until finally at the end of the movie, uh, there is a fight in a room and a woman cuts off the bad penis with a kitchen knife and her dog grabs it and runs down the street with it. This is all in Chinese. And then it it goes like to this little picture of the dog running with the bad penis down the street. And Gene said, really? And I said, yes, Gene, this probably was not the best movie in the world, but I promise you it was the most memorable movie in the world. Why could you not remember that movie? I mean, how can I? It's burned into my brain. I can't forget it. And she said, well, I don't remember it at all. What I remember is the person in front of us was eating a snack that smelled like catfish bait. And that's all I can remember. I said, yeah, I remember the catfish bait too. But in terms of truth, Gene and I have two completely different versions of that afternoon. Mine includes the content of the movie. Now, if Gene were to say, well, I think Stephen's exaggerating, that's not true. You know, she doesn't remember the movie at all. And so people have, of course, any attorney will tell you mm-hmm. that eyewitness testimony is the worst testimony you could get in mm-hmm. terms of factual. What I try to do in my uh, Tobolowsky files, in Stephen Tobolowsky's birthday party, that movie of my stories, and in Dangerous Animals Club, is I try to tell stories that are true from my point of view. Because the important thing isn't, of course, we're not talking about any historical events, but we're just talking about life and the way I kind of perceived my life. And hopefully, if I tell the truth, people will see their lives in my stories. That's kind of the theory anyway. 
I, I think you do a fantastic job of allowing people to kind of reflect on themselves while also sharing <laughs> these really awesome... Your, your stories are not only... Not only are they true to you, but they often end up very clever as well. And I think that's a uh, style of your, your writing, too. So Thank you. Thank you. And I also wanted to bring up as a note on that, there's a really beautiful quote from Memento that Leonard says that has to do exactly with what you were just talking about. He says, Memory can change the shape of a room, it can change the color of a car, and memories can be distorted. They're just an interpretation. They're not a record, and they're irrelevant if you have the facts. So, oh, it's, so fabulous. Yeah, it's that's so fab. Do, do you know the story of how I got in that movie? I do not. I want to know this. I'd love yes. to hear it. Though. Okay. Yes. Okay. So anyway, I get the script for Memento, and most scripts you get are uh, for the radio audience. You can't hear this, but I'm gesturing. You know, about a half an inch. Uh, the script for Memento was about an inch and a half thick. <laughs> it was gigantic. So I'm thinking, like, this is going to be a bad movie. Usually <laughs> thick scripts mean it's overwritten, too much dialogue, it's terrible. So I get the script, and I go upstairs, and I start reading it, and I get halfway through, and I come downstairs and go, damn it, God, damn it. And Annie, my wife, was saying, well, what's the matter? I said, well... The first half of this script is so good, I know they're going to ruin the end of it. I know they're going to ruin it. They can't. It's so good that there is no way they could keep this up. So I finish reading the script and throw it across the room. Anne comes upstairs and saying, bad, huh? I said, no. The best script Perfect. I've ever read. <laughs> I, call, I call up my agent. And I said, I have to see Chris Nolan on this movie. I have to go in. And my agent said, well, there's nothing really to read for Sammy Jenkins. I said, I, I'm not going to read. Just I have to have a meeting with Chris. So I went in and met with Chris. And he said, oh, Stephen, I'm just thrilled you came in. He says, there's no real scene for you to read. I said, now, Chris, that isn't what I'm here to tell you. I'm here to tell you this. You are going to have a lot of people who come in here and want to be in this movie because it's so good. But I am the only one you are going to see that has actually had amnesia in their life. And he said, you've had amnesia? I said, absolutely. I had kidney surgery. Oh, gosh, I'm trying to think. It was like 1994, 1994 or something. I don't, I don't know. 1990. Anyway, I had kidney surgery, and they gave me this... Um, what do you call it? general anesthetic that was experimental. And instead of putting you to sleep, it makes you forget the pain. Ooh. Right? So they do this for big guys like me. I'm 6'3". So they do it for big guys like me so the doctors can give you orders and they don't knock you out. And they say, well, just lie on the table. And you lie on the table and you forget they tell you to lie on the table. But you experience all of the pain but then you forget it afterwards, which I think is kind of twisted. But like any general anesthetic, it takes three or four days to wear off. So after I came home from the surgery, I would find myself, boom, just born. And I'd be standing in my living room holding an empty glass. And I had no idea why I was holding the glass. I didn't know if I was thirsty and on my way to get a drink, or if I just had a drink of water, and I was taking the glass back to the kitchen. I remember once I was in the bathroom, boom, born, standing over the toilet, holding little Steve, and <laughs> just, just, and I wasn't sure, like, do I, 
have to pee now? Or have I just peed? And what, what, just born that second. You don't have any memory of anything. And then my wife yelled, you finished 10 minutes ago. Get out of there. And so Chris hired me for the part. And I was able to use that surgery in playing Sammy Jenkins. Uh, wow. of the idea of just being constantly reborn every few seconds where you have absolutely no memory of where you were doing, just constantly. And, and Memento was the hardest part I ever played because I realized the only thing that pulls an actor through a scene is what Marlon Brando would call, what's my motivation? You know, what are you motivated to do in a scene? But if you don't remember why you're even in the movie, you have no motivation to do anything, so you just sit there and do nothing, and you have to dare to be boring and to dare not to remember anything, dare not to be there, which is so... And because Chris did coverage, you have to remember everything you do while at the same time not remembering anything. So it was, even though I had almost no lines in that movie, it was certainly the most challenging movie I ever did. Wow. He did a great job casting opposite you, too, because Harriet uh, <sighs> Sansom Harris, is that her name? Her yeah, Harriet she, Harris. Yeah. She breathes such life in her character, and, and by proxy yours as well. That relationship is so good and so much fun so to watch. When I read the script... You, you know, I take a look. What's the gotcha moments of the movie? The gotcha moment for me in the movie, there are several, but one of the big ones is Sammy murdering his wife. Mm. I, I mean, mm -hmm. I read that and I was just almost screaming and almost in tears as I was. It's so horrifying. Yeah. It's such a great scene in the movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, you've been super generous with your time, but I, I would be very remiss to let you go without talking about... Uh, the primary instinct. Yes. And so just to kind of give a little bit of a prologue, as people could tell from listening to this, you're an absolutely fantastic storyteller. And uh, kind of started with a movie called Stephen Tobolowsky's Birthday Party, which is you kind of hosting a birthday party and, and telling these stories about your life and love and about your work. And then that kind of segued into a podcast with Slash Films David Chen called yes. The Tobolowsky Files, which you can find online and on iTunes, all 60 episodes, I believe. And... Uh, just recently, back in, uh, I believe, early March, or actually late February, you guys launched a Kickstarter for a project called The Primary Instinct. So can you tell us a little bit about it, what you guys hope to achieve with it, and uh, when we can expect to see it? Yeah, I, uh, I always told stories, I guess, from college on about things that happened in my life, and uh, cinematographer Robert Brinkman asked me to do Stephen Tobolowsky's birthday party where we would film... And the conceit of the movie is we film from dawn to midnight on my birthday, and I look at the camera and tell these true stories from my life. And it's a delightful movie. If you haven't seen it, it's a great sit. And we've opened the Buenos Aires Film Festival, London Film Festival, Montreal, New York. It's been all over the world. A uh, lot of fun, and I tell true stories. After we did Stephen Tobolowsky's birthday party, I had a horrible accident, and that's where I was thrown from a horse on the side of an active volcano in Iceland, and I broke my neck in five places, and the doctor told me I had a fatal injury, which is a terrible thing to tell a living patient, <laughs> but 
at that time, I thought, what if what he told me was true and uh, and I would have died at that point? I thought I wanted to write down these stories from my life so my kids would know who their dad was. And at that point in time, I started writing these stories out instead of just winging it like I'm winging it with you now. (laughs) And those stories became the Tobolowsky files. And we've been on radio stations around the country. And a big station that's been a supporter of ours is in Seattle. David Chen and I have done several live shows in Seattle. And what the uh, primary instinct is going to be is a concert film. So we're going to go into the Moore Theater and we're going to film a a performance May 3rd, if you're in Seattle, uh, Come and be a part of the fun, but I'm going to do one of the stories from the Dangerous Animals Club, uh, one of my favorite stories, a conference hour. And then I'm going to do a relatively new story, uh, The Primary Instinct, which is one of my favorite stories. Now I'm one of my new favorite stories. <laughs> They're all children. But but it is – we will film that May 3rd. Mm-hmm. Then afterwards what we'll do is we'll see where the holes are, where we need to – uh, where we need transitions and need supplementary filming. That'll probably happen sometime at the beginning of June. Hopefully, we will have a final cut or a rough cut of this by August. We are going, we have some experts due to the wonderful support of, of you guys and people around the country. Uh, we're, we're going to be doing live on the fly editing of the live show. So we we should have a rough cut by August, and hopefully we'll be able to get into some film festivals and see if we can get it either in distribution or on Netflix or Showtime or somewhere around the world the year following that. So I think it's going to happen pretty quickly, a lot lot quicker than uh, publishing, heaven knows. (laughs) I, I don't know if you guys have. Do you guys have time for a Detroit story? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Please. You do? Please. We have all the time in the world for you, sir. I was yes. hoping for you had Det- at least one. Because you just reminded me when you said you were in Detroit, I do have a Detroit story. I was. I, I told you about this acting teacher I had at the University of Illinois, Ed K. Martin. Mm-hmm. And when I graduated from school, you know, all actors were looking for jobs. About a year or so after my graduation, Ed called me up and said, would you like to come do this play? I believe it was at the Meadowbrook Theater in Detroit. All I right. think that was the name of it. Yeah. Yeah. And and he said, the Meadowbrook Theater in Detroit, I'm, uh, boy, what's the name of it? It's the movie with Marilyn Monroe, Bus Stop, Bus Stop doing bus stop and you would play the lead and I have a wonderful female actress uh, playing the female lead uh, can you can you do that I said Ed I would love to I would love to as we moved toward the winter months Detroit was hit as you always are mm-hmm. with one of the worst winters in history and they had shut down some of the airlines uh, it was feet of snow. It was freezing. I just told Ed, I don't think I'm going to be able to come and do the show. I'm sorry. I don't think he goes, I understand. I understand. You know, the first rule of show business is the show does not have to go on. Mm 
<laughs> and that was pretty much the way that story was. That was probably, I'm guessing, around 1978, 79. Anyway, I'm directing in New York uh, in 1984. I direct the premiere of the Miss Firecracker contest starring Holly Hunter, uh, Margot Martindale, Mark Lynn Baker, uh, Budge Threlkeld, a bunch of great people in, in that show, Belita Marino. And first day of rehearsal, Holly was looking at me, kind of smiling, and says, you know, we almost acted together. Mm. And oh. I said, what? Oh, Ed K. Martin asked me to play the lead in Bus Stop at the Meadowbrook Theater, and it would have been you and me, buddy. Uh, but it got snowed out, and we never got to do it. So that would have been me and Holly in Detroit, wow. and we were snowed out. Yeah, she couldn't come either. So that was, uh, hey, that's an answer to one of your questions. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. What is one of them that got away? <laughs> that is one that I always regret that got away. <laughs> always. That's I'm awesome. sure the city of Detroit feels the same way. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever actually made it here or just passed through? Passed through. Uh, passed through. I, I worked a few times in Toronto and in doing so, I passed through Detroit. Sure. Okay. And, uh, Great city. Yeah. Yeah. Great city. Hopefully getting better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's had rough times, but I've lived in a lot of cities that have had rough times, and rough times is when you dig in and invest more. Yep. Comes back bigger and better than ever. Well, if you ever want to stop by, you've got three friends. Excellent. We'll have you anytime. Uh, we'll each buy you a Coney dog and a Verner's. Absolutely. <laughs> And I'll tell you what, I'll give you, how often do you guys record? Oh, every week? Weekly. Oh, every week. So I'll give you, uh, I'll, I'll call back after the, the show and let you know the status of Primary Instinct. That'd be fantastic. And let you know how it's going and, and the whole process. Because it's, David Chin is going to be doing a film behind the film yeah. as to how we put it all together and... It interests me, too. It's going to be very interesting. But the stories are great, so I think people will at least like the stories. Yeah, I'm a pretty new listener to it, and I, uh, I'm already... I mean, Alex sent me the link to the Kickstarter video, and he said, hey, please watch this beforehand. And I, and I told him when he arrived tonight to set up, I said, in 15 seconds, he had me completely hooked. <laughs> oh, instantly. <laughs> instantly. It's well, tonight, fantastic. Listen to a conference hour on the podcast, and that'll be one of the stories I'm going to be doing, which I just did at the Woodstock Writers Festival. I just did conference hour, and it's a story that means a lot to me. Yeah, that's, I, I actually listened to that one yesterday, <laughs> and, and it, is, it is a fantastic story. <laughs> excellent, excellent, guys. All right, well, Stephen, you've been more than uh, gracious Absolutely. with uh, yeah, thank you. generous with your time is the word I'm looking for, so... Uh, is there anything else you want to say? Twitter.com slash uh, Tobolowski. Uh, 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 yeah, and uh, if, if you're looking for the Tobolowski files, David Chin said now, just go to thetobolowskifiles.com, and you have to spell my name right, which is T as in Tom, O, B as in boy, O-L-O-W-S-K-Y, Y, not I. And just go to thetobolowskifiles.com and all of the stories are there. I think we have 63 episodes, maybe 64, and they're free. We Absolutely. don't charge for that stuff. It's all free, and that's the only way to go. 
Absolutely. That's what we're doing here. Yep. So Yeah. Love it. <laughs> God's work. All right. Well, thank you very much, Stephen. You're welcome back anytime. Yes. Absolutely. Thank, thank you, you, sir. Thank you. See you, you guys. Take care. Take care. Best of luck. Bye-bye. All right. I hope you enjoyed our interview with Stephen Tobolowsky. Uh, of course, uh, we will do a recap of all of the uh, links and things that you can find him at, at the end of the show. But uh, right now, we're going to get into our review of Gareth Evans' The Raid 2, um, starring Iko Ueyes and uh, Arfin Putra and many other names that I will completely butcher, I'm sure. Um <laughs> The synopsis is, only a short time after the first raid, Rama goes undercover with the thugs of Jakarta and plans to bring down the syndicate and uncover the corruption within his police force. Um, so we did a review of the raid, to, the raid, Redemption, a few weeks ago. So if you want to know our kind of complete thoughts on the series, you can always go back and listen to that if you haven't already. Um, but the raid 2 is something that has been, uh, this is on, this was Tim's, most anticipated yes, movie. Yes, it was. Yes. So I think it's most appropriate that we pass it over to you, Tim. How did you feel about the raid two? I liked it a, a lot. Yes. Um, <laughs> pretty obvious, but um, it's a it's a different movie than the raid. Obviously, uh, the raid is kind of takes you from the beginning and just kind of throws you and mm-hmm. just keeps moving forward. This, this honestly might, I was thinking about it, might be more in line with the type of director Gareth Evans is because it's very, Marintau is very character driven, his other movie, mm-hmm. his other main movie. And it's also a martial arts film, but the martial arts, it kind of builds towards it and tells more of a story of like a guy going on a journey to, well, the journey is the Marintau. So it's, I think this is kind of more in line with the type of filmmaker he is, and the raid was just him kind of, maybe even just kind of letting loose. I know he didn't have as much money on that one as he did on this one. This was yeah. like this was the movie he wanted to make, so it's a little, it's a little more difficult to follow plot wise than the raid. So I had, I I guess I had a little bit of issues with that, but the stuff. I mean, it was just to watch someone this talented as a filmmaker work in the action genre like fills me with joy like watching it as just because i watch quite a bit of action movies and even like direct video movies and i think there are some talented people that could do some interesting stuff if given the right budget working in the like the action direct direct video action movies but I always feel like I'm grading on a curve with them. Yeah. Just because of the movies they make. And with him, like, there's no curve. Like, he's a really, like, it's just cool to see this good of a filmmaker make this kind of movie. Um, yeah. So, I was a fan. I liked it. Um, as far as comparing it to the first, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's such a different movie, and I'm yeah. probably going to have to watch it again. It's just going to take a little bit before I watch it again because it's it's, a, it's an exhausting movie <laughs> to watch. Like, I felt beat up at the end of it and just sore. Um, like, I had some issues with the plot and some of it. It reminded me a little of the... Uh, I've watched a little bit of the kind of Asian crime thrillers mm-hmm. and it wanted to be... I was thinking like of like a Johnny Toe like um like election or uh, what's the other drug war drug war is really dense and didn't make any sense to me or like honestly. Infernal Affairs yeah Infernal Affairs or even I thought like the early Hong Kong John Woo movies where they kind of worked on two different levels where the action worked and also the story worked mm-hmm. like I think that's what this was more in line with um and I, I just thought that was really cool to see so I yeah I was a big fan all right Willie. Your thoughts on the raid too? <clears throat> um, 
I, the first one I enjoyed so much that I was really looking forward to seeing this, as we all were. But I was kind of nervous because mm-hmm. um, I haven't seen anything else from Gareth Evans yet. I haven't taken the time to watch his VHS uh, contributions to those two those two movies. So further great. I'm yeah. going to check them out at some point. But I was mostly nervous about the movie trying to be too big and trying to do too much. Um, I knew the runtime was long going in, which is not a bad thing. But mm-hmm. I was concerned because... Martial arts films in general, and I would say that at its base, this is a martial arts film, um, tend to be pretty brisk, you know, 90-minute romps mm-hmm. with, you know, with hopefully with a solid story. It doesn't have to be anything groundbreaking, and this isn't. But I was a little nervous about that, and I was worried that maybe the ambition was way too high on this one. Um, ambition is good, but you got to be careful. you got to keep it in check and make sure you're entertaining an audience, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was, for the most part, all those fears were unwarranted. Um, I will say there are moments maybe where the where the runtime does drag a bit, um, specifically earlier on in the film. Uh, once things get going, it's like breakneck. Like, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's kind of cool because it's you know exactly when you're due for another action scene, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel formulaic to me, which is very strange. You would think you're like, oh god, here we go, another one. Like it's been you know ten minutes. Check the watch. We are due for another one here. But it doesn't feel that way. Um, and for the most part, I wasn't bothered by by the runtime. Um, I appreciate that they did try to have uh, bigger goals with this movie. They certainly, the storyline is way more, um, there's a lot more characters. There's a lot more interaction between the characters. There's a lot more important. I mean, the first, the first film really follows like uh, arguably two or three characters, yeah. you know? So it's, and it, uh, the first film's all in one day. Yes. In one building for yeah. the most part. So this, this one is way, way more ambitious and it works out well. I think, um, it feels like a natural progression of a sequel. Which I really appreciated because I feel oftentimes with sequels nowadays, you don't get things like we got with James Cameron's Aliens, which felt like a logical progression of that story, you know, mm-hmm. and this one feels like the next step. Um, I will say I was really, really surprised by how, like, super beautiful the movie was in every way. I mean, just from the look of the film to the fight choreography, obviously. But beyond that, I mean, even the, the music and, and some of the some of the choices that are made with the cinematography are really, really gorgeous to look at. And I, I appreciate it for that. It felt like there was like, he's learned a lot since the raid one, I feel like, and it might be partially that he's learned a lot and partially that he's less limited than he was with the raid one. Um, and I, I, I was a little concerned with the shaky cam. It mm-hmm. bothered me more in this one than it did in the first raid. And I rewatched a couple of the action scenes from the first film just to Remind myself of if, if you know what it was like, and I will say this one I feel like has a lot more of the shaky cam going yeah. on. But I still, honestly, it didn't detract. There were once or twice where I was like, "Wait, who's who?" Okay, that's right. Okay, you know, because they're moving so fast and and the camera's just going nuts. Um, but no, I, I really enjoyed it. So, yeah. All right, Nick, your thoughts on the raid two? Uh, it was good. It was uh, yeah, it was very good. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Uh, I'm trying to remember what what other sequel I've heard this for recently. Perhaps you'll remember, but this feels very much like the Dark Knight to Raid One's Batman Begins because mm-hmm. there's a lot more going on. It's a lot bigger in scope, and the protagonist really isn't in it that much, uh, which is kind of a drag. Like I, I was missing Rama a little bit in some of this movie because it would go for relatively long stretches and you wouldn't really see him, and I was like, oh. Um, but the uh, 
it's such an interesting movie because it's like half crazy action bonanza and half like art movie. Yeah. Because the the there are parts of it like Willie said that are just really really pretty and very creative, nice uh, pleasing camera work to witness and a beautiful score. I loved the score mm-hmm. and. Uh, and then, then it would just flip the switch and get like just real gritty and really intense. I the shaky cam bothered me really, really a lot, very much in this movie. And shaky cam usually doesn't get to me, but in the the mud fight scene is nearly incomprehensible some of the time, mm-hmm. which may have been the intended effect to where the viewer is almost like disoriented. But I didn't like it, um, especially when he he's capable of directing such coherent kinetic action that it felt it felt like that was second unit bullshit and I was really bummed out because the rest of the movie is so polished. Even mm-hmm. the, the the later fights that are very kinetic, you can tell what's going on, you can tell who's who. and So it may have been by design, it may have been a conscious decision, but I don't think it was the right one. Uh, especially when the setup for that fight is so great and there's just these beautiful, like great Gatsby-esque blocking moments of like, oh man, was it good. I mean, the, the build-up to all the fights is always amazing. It gets you, it gets you so primed and ready. It's like, a, a, like on a roller coaster when you're climbing the hill and you're like, oh yep. god, here it is, here it is, here Absolutely. it is. That moment where you sit mm-hmm. right at the top. You're hearing the chain tick yep, Exactly, yeah. exactly. And he's brilliant at, at winding up the suspense and, and just leaving you, uh, leaving you just so intense. Like I said, when we walked at the theater, I was walking strangely like I had just gotten done with like a 20-minute run because my legs were like tensed up through the whole third act of the movie so that was great it, it had some weird i felt the length of this one and i almost wanted to check my phone for the time which is incredibly rare for me in the theater uh but i can't say i didn't enjoy all of it like I, every scene i would say it was very good and uh it's just a lot of movie there's a lot <laughs> going on it might it may have been a little too much a little too complex i think there there will be some people that say it's too long like I'll, I'll probably even say it's too long, but it's it's great to to behold. You never a scene never really ends, and you're like, oh, that was kind of a waste of time. It's just a lot. Yeah. It's a lot of movie. <laughs> the ending is great too. I mean, it's the, the beginning is, is great. The ending is great. It's very. It's uh, it's a movie you would not think is directed by a guy from Wales. Like yeah. it, it feels very authentic, which is really interesting. I think in my feels- in my somewhat limited knowledge of. Of Asian movies, yeah. uh, but I, I've seen what I have seen. It feels very in line with that. Um, so I think job well done. There's some really creative camera work, very cool, interesting fight sequences, uh, a compel, a genuinely compelling story. Mm-hmm. I just miss the, the first act. I was like, wow, this is a cool story. Like the the stakes are higher, everything, and then it kind of shifts gears and it no longer becomes so much about one character as about many, which is interesting, but it feels like the main characters uh, struggle and issues get put on the back burner for the whole middle of the movie. And then they kind of bring it back around. But by then you're kind of, I don't know, it's a weird balancing act and it kind of worked, but I think you stumbled a little bit in terms of making, continuing to make the main character's story very compelling. But uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say much needs to be changed. The movie's so much fun to watch as it is, but it's not a it's not a, a light breezy Sunday. You don't just, <laughs> yeah. You're not just going to pop in the raid too. Like it's it's long and it's kind of arduous to get through, and it's dense. And uh, it hurts. You absolutely can't see it if you haven't seen the first one. I don't think. No. The first is kind of required viewing, which I don't think is bad for us, obviously, because we've all seen it. But I think anybody who goes in to be like, oh yeah, it's a sequel. Why not? It's just you'll be a little bit lost. So. Yeah, it was very. It was good. I'm, I'm glad I 
I'm glad it was as good as it was. It's <laughs> <laughs> really good. The movie is good. It's amazing to think of the Raid one as a palate cleanser for this. <laughs> yeah. Like, how, did you ever think you would be like, yeah, it's a warm up. It's like a, like, a, like an appetizer before the meal. Literally. Yeah, the, the Raid one's the one where you like you have your buds over and you just crack open some beers and like yeah. have a good time watching the Raid one. The Raid two is much more like meditative. <laughs> <laughs> Is, it, it, the raid two is the one where you'll pop it in and you'll chapter skip to like some of the fights. Sure, if but you're in the if you're not in the mood to sit down. And watch the, the raid that. the raid two is is heat. It's uh it's just so long. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost as long as heat. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I enjoyed this movie quite a bit. I had a lot of the same issues and and then the that a lot of you guys did. The shaky cam bothered me quite a bit, and I'm usually pretty sensitive to shaky cam. But uh, I straight up had a headache after the mud scene. Like, my head hurt. I get a headache thinking about it right now. <laughs> um, and uh, I just hate shaky cam. And the thing that makes me sad is that I, these guys can do this stuff. And so the shaky cam's just added to give, give it that sense of frenetic motion. And I feel like that's... If he, if he were a true, like, art house kind of director, he would have been much more locked off and a little bit more smooth with the motion in the sense of filming action. And I, I, I almost would appreciate that more because I feel like it would give me even more time to appreciate the choreography and everything that goes into constructing those fight scenes. That's what was so frustrating, too, was even within the mud scene, there were some very nice, yeah. clean yeah. shots. And I forgot to say, this movie totally fulfilled my appetite for long takes. Like, it... Had yeah. several beautiful long takes that I was like, yes. But uh, I wonder if the part of the mud scene, though, the, was just the restriction of the where they were filming. Like, I wonder if they couldn't bring in the dollies and all that to kind of smooth it out. Yeah. It may have been, we just need to throw a guy in there with a camera. And, and I he's going to slip all over the mud just as much <laughs> right. as everybody who's Yeah, fighting. like I wondered what the, if they, I mean, I presume they were filming at an actual prison. Yeah. If, if there was, a, they only had a limited time window. Like, I, I really don't know. I'd like to see this. Uh, I'm making up for this movie would be fascinating. Yeah. For sure. Anyway, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to um, do what I do every week <laughs> and interrupt you. <laughs> Uh, no, I enjoyed it. I, I liked the, the score quite a bit. There were a lot of really beautiful moments with the score that I kind of noticed. That was, uh, I think Joe Trapanese worked on it again with a bunch of other people. <clears throat> Joe Trapanese kind of being this guy that coordinates with other people to do cool things. I think he worked with Daft Punk on the Tron soundtrack and he worked with, uh, Trapanese. Uh, he worked with, uh, the, the Lincoln Park guys on the one, yeah, with <laughs> Mike Shinoda on the first raid. And I, I don't think that, I don't, we listened to the... We reviewed the subtitled version, so I don't think we got that. I'm not sure if we did or not. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, Joe Trapanese did some fantastic work uh, with his collaborators here, and I'm, I'm I'm excited to see what he goes he goes on to do next. Um, I really like that this movie, like this, honestly feels like the raid. If you take the raid and if the raid is like a concentrated like chemical of some kind, and you drop a little bit of water into the middle of it, and it spreads out. Like it feels like uh, like a if you were to take the ink of the raid and put some chromatography like do some chromatography on it and watch all of the pieces kind of separate like you get these really really amazing fight scenes with some very like even even the the scenes with dialogue and with exposition feel as though they are just tense like the oh, character totally. interactions and everything and all of those even if like it just kind of the relationships that you learn about all of the people that are in this movie, these movies, it, it in this movie, it makes it, it, it ratchets up even the drama just as much as it does some of the fighting, and I think that's that takes a lot of talent 
That's something that Tim Tim brought up. But um, no, I I didn't feel the pacing, and that's another thing that I'm typically pretty sensitive to is pacing. <clears throat> um, I think I glanced down at my phone a few times just because I was like, I need to look at something else right now. <laughs> but it wasn't it wasn't like a time checking thing. I, I um, it it just felt like with all of that tension, he kind of. <laughs> The fight scenes are so crazy that you need a breather for a moment, so they let you breathe for a minute, and then they start amping up the tension themselves, and then it leads to another fight scene. I just think that rhythm was kind of perfectly met for oh, my... Oh, the, the final fight scene straight up has a break in it. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> the, two, the two guys fighting stop and breathe for like 20 seconds. It's, Absolutely. It's, it's like getting sucked under a wave. Yes. Underwater, and having that one little breath you can get in when your head pokes up, yep. and then getting sucked back down again. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah. So I, I, th- I really appreciated it for, for all of that, and I just think um, I'm super excited to see what Gareth Evans goes on to do. And it's funny, because I'd like, I would want another Raid movie, but I also want to see him apply his talents to something I, else. I'm kind of ready for him to... Yeah. Branch out Branch out bit. and move on. I even wonder what the hell a third one could be about. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't it's, know. Uh, this one just goes for it. Yeah. <laughs> so hard. Yeah, I don't and, uh, know. <laughs> and, and succeeds that yeah. I feel like to, to revisit the universe would almost be a mistake. Because you have to beat this one. <laughs> maybe maybe Rama will seek down seek to uh, take down the corruption in all of the world. A few years <laughs> from now. Batman Inc. Yeah. A few years from now, we're going to be sitting at this table or another table and... <laughs> Talking about how the raid two was a palate cleanser. For <laughs> so right, it's just what six if, hours. What if raid long? three is the weird one where they try to import Rama to like America to try to make him an American star, and he like comes and cleans up L.A. or something, and it's just very strange and <laughs> teams up with Tyrese doesn't really work. Teams up with Tyrese. We hungry. Chris Tucker. Yeah, I like that. Is he alive? Chris Tucker. Yeah. Um, what was he just in? Rush Hour three. <laughs> Six years <laughs> Jackie Brown. I was watching it the other day. That's about it. No. All right. Uh, any final thoughts? I think we all unanimously agree you should go check it out if you haven't already. See yes. the first. Yeah. Yeah. Watch the first. Haven't. Not um, only because it's a really awesome movie, but you know, yeah, yeah. I think it's pretty required viewing for this one. Watch. Yeah. Uh, watch this other movie. Watch Marantau because that might get you primed a little for what was that pre-raid one? That was pre-raid. Okay. Yeah. So he yeah. went from raid to raid two. Raid 2, yeah, and then he did the VHS segment in between, mm. I think. Well, so. and, he, and he wrote, the Raid 2 was the first movie that he wrote, and then he was he couldn't get the money for it, and yeah. so he distilled it down into the Raid. Interesting. So, so, wait, the Raid 1 was the original script, but then he No, the Raid out. 2 was the original script. Oh, okay. And then he just, and then he... So instead he the, wrote the, the prequel. Yeah. Right. He wrote the prologue. Yep. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. That was basically just like look, it, it. It makes sense because you're like he's like this is my proof of concept that I can do great action. Now this movie, give me a budget so I can make an what actual movie. What a proof movie. of concept, too. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a really breakout movie that year. I remember a lot of people talking about it. Yeah, that was eleven, right? Twenty eleven. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So. All right, we are going to take a quick break and then we will come right back and spoiler Terry for the raid two. So uh, stick tuned. All right, here we are 
on Spoiler Terry for The Raid 2. So, Nick, you had a scene that you wanted to talk about. Uh, yes, I do. I Well, the score really struck me really early on because it reminded me of, like, the good parts from the, uh, uh, Only God Forgives. I always forget the name. <laughs> <laughs> um, the good parts from that score, like the Cliff Martinez kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. And, like, there's a little bit of, like, kind of drivey vibe to it a little bit. And, uh, so right away I was like, ooh, I'm into this. Like, I gotta look into this score when I get home. But there was, uh... The scene when Rama is first in his penthouse and he he calls his wife, Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, is this ever good? Yeah. And that's when I really, because Rama was always a badass and you like, you rooted for him in the first movie because like, like Tim said after the movie, he's a nice looking guy. Like he just looks like a nice guy. (laughs) Yeah. He's got a pleasant face and you want to hang out with him. Yeah. And he's the only one that you can tell isn't a corrupt cop. Just right, he's got a very earnest, yeah, look about him. And but this is what obviously, like, I was like, oh, cool, the stakes are raised. He's got a baby now. He's got a wife. But that scene is what really made me go, wow, Rama can't die, Mm -hmm. or else I'll be really upset. And that's why I'm kind of disappointed because after that point is where it kind of started to not care as much about Rama, and it kind of became a movie about all these other characters, which were all great characters. It became uh, more about Ucho and his father than right. it did about Which was a really cool subplot. Yeah. But the fact that it kind of took over the main plot, and it was, like like I said, it's a lot like The Dark Knight, where Batman is almost a side character. Mm-hmm. It's more about Harvey Dent and uh, and Gordon. Dark Knight does a better job, though, I think. And this was my biggest, yeah, you're touching on my biggest problem with the movie. <clears> Dark Knight <throat> does a better job of keeping Bruce Wayne and Batman right. around. As a player, yeah. And this one... Like it, Rama's disappears. Yeah, for a and it's and it it bums me out, and and I don't want it to be longer, I guess, but it needed <laughs> one or two more scenes of Rama doing something in the middle the, there, in just the middle showing, of the movie, showing yeah. what he's up to. Because when when Eka calls him, and he's like, "You have to get down here," and then like it's like when the when Beja was that his name? Bejo. Yeah. When he shows up, and then like and then Rama shows up. I was like, "Oh yeah, Rama!" Like he because he's been gone for a little. Oh, bit. Oh, the main know. character. Yeah, yeah, the <laughs> hero of the of the series. Right. Uh, so yeah, that was kind of an issue for me, but that scene was so good and so beautiful and just so, so effective. I was like, wow. And that that's also kind of where I thought Gareth Evans was elevated in my mind. Beyond just a great visual director, I was like, this story is getting very compelling. And his direction, I, I feel like I can't make a, a incredibly well-informed uh, criticism of the acting because it's so far removed from my own culture. Mm-hmm. Like, I could just be really convinced by it, and uh, it's yeah. really not that good. <laughs> but I think... Every, no, I, no, I guess you can, because there's, there's so much that the characters in this movie express with their faces and everything, and everybody in this is very good. Yeah. And the, the father-son drama, even though both characters are kind of bad guys, is very compelling, and, and it, it, it flips how you feel about the characters. Like, you do start to sympathize with one and the other, mm-hmm. and uh, every, every character in this movie is very well played, and uh, I think that's a hu- pretty huge feat. And his Gareth Evans toying with chronology at the beginning and showing you yeah. brief glimpses of something that has yet to happen is so good. Mm-hmm. I mean, that totally tickles my Nolan bone, and I'm like <laughs> all excited because I, I, he just did it so effectively. No, with, I, with like the the shot of him in the bathroom stall, and I was and like, the door is shaking, and then yeah. like cut to something else, and they cut back to it for a second. The door, I was like, ooh, ooh. No, I thought that was. <laughs> no, I thought that was one of the most impressive parts of the movie for me. Is because. I, you mean like the beginning? Yeah, the beginning and just how he jumps around and how he was able to tell that story and how I was able to follow it because yeah. it's very American of me. But I, but I have, I have problems watching. You're the reason Snowpiercer's I'm being. So, oh, probably the Weinstein's <laughs> look down their nose at me. But I, like, I have problems with like dense crime movies, mm-hmm. dense 
like foreign crime movies. It's I enjoy <laughs> them, and I pick them. And I did have some problems with this, and I do think. I don't think it's all just me. Did anybody get what the tattoo symbolized? See, that's what I at didn't. The end? I didn't quite. Know. I never quite. I think that's a triad. Okay. Thing. So, like see, I think because they brought in the, the the Japanese the triad guys to execute them. Okay. Triads are Chinese. Are they? What's mm-hmm. the? Oh, isn't Yakuza? Is, Yakuza yeah. would be. Yeah, maybe that's a Yakuza tattoo. Well, they were Japanese foot soldiers because they brought them in. Did they call it like under the under yeah. the guys that they were the ones who roughed up uh, or who roughed up murdered? Uh, <laughs> what was his name? Uh, uh, Mad Dog. In this oh, movie. Mad Dog. Oh, who, by oh, the way, Koso. Koso, amazing, <laughs> amazing. That was character. the other. That was the other part. But yeah, I, really I think really that loved, they brought yeah. they brought them in to be like. No, no, no. They were the 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 people that 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 Ucho killed on yes. that floor. They're the guys from prison. That they were from him. prison. That okay, that betrayed him. Yeah, the, the last guy he assassinates is the guy who was going to kill him on the mudfield. Okay, the guy but, we're, but they were part of the Japanese gang. No, the they prison? were they were part of of some organization. They weren't Japanese. They were also Indonesian. But he brought them in basically to say, "Here's my gift to you. I'll let you kill these men that were that tried to kill you." Oh, I thought they were... And then I you thought, find out that he was actually probably the one ordering okay. him to be killed in prison. Okay. Because he has the same tattoo. And so he's maybe one. maybe that's like a Bejo tattoo. So that was Bejo's, Bejo's crew, but I don't really... That was the vibe I got, was that he was the one who called the hit on his son because he wanted to start this whole war so he could take... So there's a little bit of murkiness here. Like, it's... Mm-hmm. it's I okay. think I think... It's probably all there, but it would probably require a second view. You know what, that makes really sense, too, because I think that they're, like, they're Bejo foot soldiers that he probably said, listen, you're gonna, I'm gonna have you killed in front of me, but it's gonna be for the, for the, the greater, greater good. good. The, yeah, greater, yeah. the greater cause, because that guy gives him that glance, kind of like, all right, yeah, do it. <laughs> like, yeah. it's your, you Let know. Let it happen. Yeah. Kind of like the, the guy in Dark Knight Rises at the beginning, who stays behind for yeah. the, mm-hmm. the Fire Rises guy. Sacrificial him. Yeah. All right, that makes more sense. Okay. I thought they were guys. I thought they were Japanese guys that uh, Uko bought, basically, because he said you've got to sway people to your side. I thought they were foot soldiers from the other side because mm-hmm. the Japanese and them kind of had a truce. Yeah, and then they betrayed him, and I thought they were going to use them as impetus for. But no, then they had the guys. They framed the Japanese for the attack on mm-hmm. uh, Koso. Yeah. yeah. So okay, it's okay. tricky. There's a lot of different organizations going on. There's a lot of different nationalities going on. Mm-hmm. So it's, and I think that's part of the problem by default is that we're Westerners, and it's sometimes hard for us. But look at that—we figured it out. Yeah, I think so. In your face, wines. But things, I right? don't. I don't think you're wrong, Tim. I yeah, think, no, I, I think. I think there is. They, there could have been more handholding, and it's not necessarily something that I would have want, wanted. But I think he could have been a little bit more deft in demonstrating all of that. Right. Because I, like I think. I think Willie 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 has some sort of mental acuity that allowed him to make the right connections there, and I don't think you or I had that. Too. Okay, he did a good job though of at least he didn't like there was no grandstanding speech about it. Like it was just that quick again yeah. Nolan esque flashback of that, and then Uko instantly realized, oh shit, I've been duped, and like yeah. I'm, I'm being played, and that enough was effective enough for me as the viewer to be like, whoa. And I and I knew that. I was like, clearly he's been betrayed. It made sense to me that he was going to mm-hmm. turn the shotgun on Bejo. That was so cool. It was he great. just caught it. I was like, ooh, Uko, Uko's kind of cool. Even though he's clearly being puppeted by everybody in this movie. Yeah. yeah. You start like, to feel bad for him, though, almost in the end. Yeah, yeah that's, I thought. That's I thought. What's, that's by the time, by the time he gets what's coming to him, you're kind of like, 
that that kid, man, like he really he could have had it all, and he just threw it. He away painted because... such a great example of just youthful impulse mm-hmm. and like the refusal to be patient. He's and, a cool actor. I, I hope I want to see him, and I want to see. He was um, very good. I want to see um, Eco Weiss and more stuff, and I also want to see the guy who plays Mad Dog slash Picoso. Yeah, all, all the all the principal guys were really good. Echo was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dad, the the uh, Indonesian dad, was really good. The the Japanese head of the family was a bad. I feel like I've seen <laughs> that him guy in was amazing. Yeah. Well, he looked a little bit like George Takai, and he sounded like him. he had that deep, like <laughs> really rumbly voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was man, that guy was cool. What if they get George Takai for the American raid? <laughs> That'd be. Are they making? Oh, they are. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, it's yeah, funny. There was somebody right. that popped up. One of the uh, police guys that was in the interrogation room. I almost leaned over to you guys and was like, "That's Martin Sheen in the American." Because <laughs> we were doing that all through our review of the, or uh, all through our first viewing of the first. Oh, yeah, 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 right. the first raid, we were like, yeah, "That's Ron Perlman." And yeah. That's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but funny. that guy was a dead ringer for like an uh, an Indonesian Martin Sheen. I was like, dude, the, the guy who was his like handler, the cop who recruited him and all that, looked just like my uncle, like <laughs> like barely different. My uncle was like a was was Ukrainian, hundred percent Ukrainian, but he had like real dark, real for dark all skin you know. tone. Real, uh, yeah, he no, he looked a lot like him. Same mustache, same. I mean, it was really remarkable. I was like, wow, that's really eerie. All right, uh, Willie. Do you have any... Uh... Yeah, um, I just wanted to to run through a couple things. First of all, I was, I'm was i not going to lie, I was a little bummed that um, the brother died so early on. I Me mean, too. it is very important, obviously, to what happens <laughs> later on. But I, I liked the two of them, and I, I guess it was my own fault for expecting the raid to, to develop further on how the brother got to where he is versus how um, Rama got to where he is. And I would have liked to have seen more of them working together. Um, and I thought... When Eka showed up, that maybe okay now he's gonna get a a, a boy to go throw down with because I kind of like I like it I like team ups in my martial arts movies yeah. I like when it's, when it's like two against the world I mean I love one against the world too but I also like I like I like a brotherhood of of ass kicking and uh, <laughs> unfortunately that didn't happen but the movie really isn't harmed by it I just I guess I was just expecting something more with the brother relationship. It, after I saw the first one, so well, and at that um, point it becomes insane to be like, okay, is Rama really still plowing through by himself? Like, <laughs> right. This is absolutely nuts. Right. Yeah. Um. And I do have to say that the the final fight, the final big fight with um the assassin, is probably the best martial arts fight I've ever seen. It's yeah. on screen ever. Yeah. I'm pretty really. sure it is. And that, honestly, this is probably the best best martial arts movie I've ever seen. They said it took them ten days to shoot that scene. It's it's incredible. I, and I, I I and the fact that it follows up, it feels like a video game because he you know he takes out baseball bat guy and hammer girl oh, I want to talk who are kind of the underbosses <laughs> and then he moves on. And I, Tim literally went like this. I, I just want to say I love how all three of those the three main assassins working for uh, Bejo. Are all killed by their own weapons. Yeah, I like yep. that. That was kind yeah, of cool. Yeah, was that was really cool. Um, He's like Mega Man. He does. Yeah, he, he steals the weapon and, and <laughs> annihilates. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know. I, th- I don't think I have much more much more to say. But uh, what it's thought, an excellent film. Yeah. I wanted to, what I thought about what was cool about the assassin fight is at the beginning before they start to really tear into each other. But at the beginning, it's just two guys. And, oh my god! And like it's they're so good at what they do that it's, the fight starts kind of boring. Like yeah, they're just they're, like they're all like, both they're trying just, to <laughs> respectfully fight. Yeah, well, they're, they're like they're like measuring each other up. Yep, yeah, and like they know where each other's going. And oh, there were some leg checks in this. I love mm-hmm. like oh, yeah. this. Oh, we forgot to talk about it. Kicking is back, hundred percent. Like if Captain America didn't do it alone, kicking is so in now. Like twenty fourteen is the year for kicking. <laughs> 
kicking there, is so hot right now. There is so much <laughs> wicked kicking in this movie. It's so good. I mean, wow. Yeah. I like any time, and this this was the same with the first film. I love any time they, they use bladed weapons. Like yeah. that's the oh, coolest. It's so scary. It's the coolest thing because there's something about getting cut that scares the hell out of I think everybody. Mm. Getting I mean getting shot is one thing that's scary enough, but getting cut because we we've all cut ourselves at some point. Yeah. You know what I mean? On a tuna lid can or something like you know something, and it just there's something spooky about the idea of getting cut. And I well, even hand- the danger of two knives. You know, like that's yeah. very cool to me. People who are like hand to hand fighting experts in real life say if someone pulls a knife during a fight, there's going to be blood everywhere because you can't you cannot dodge blades. Like there's sure you yeah. can you can. You can try to take the blow on your parts of your, like your your upper part of your forearm where you're not going to bleed as much. They said you are absolutely going to get cut. cut, right? Yeah. So it was cool that in this movie they didn't try to make it like Rama's untouchable. Like yeah. it was cool that he he gets cut up. No, he gets he, gets he does an amazing up. job, and it, and it seems very believable. These guys are so fast and just so 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 good. But that that's the only shot I remembered from the trailer, and I forgot about it until it happened in the movie when they both strike their stance and then they. Scooched towards each other, like they're just by shuffling their feet in. I was like, "Oh, I remember that from the trailer." And in the trailer, it made me go, "Whoa, that is so cool!" And in the movie, it was amazing. One one thing I wanted to say too, I just wanted to ask everybody, and this might change. It probably is going to, but just off the top of your head, first one you think of, what is your favorite action beat in this movie right now? Boom! Come on, Alex, you got it. No, I don't know. I Not... loved the car chase. The, yes. the car chase sequence is amazing. But it, you mean like a specific beat? Is there a beat in the moment? car chase that just made you like scream, <clears throat> like scream inside or outside? Um, I feel like I didn't have to see the movie again. It's just so. It's much. tough. The first the fight in the bathroom stall was amazing. The very first connect with the baseball bat. The, mm-hmm. Like the the first like. The, it sounds like the Super Smash Brothers. <laughs> the yeah. yeah, it sounds like he just hit a home run with the baseball bat in Super Smash Brothers. It was, it, it just, I don't know, it stuck out to me. I was like, oh, yeah. That's I was awesome. like, I was waiting for this to happen, and it just did, and it was fantastic. Uh, Koso's one-handed fight while he was holding a machete in one hand, but not using it. Yeah. Oh, that, that was so amazing. Cool. That's, it, yeah. This movie, I mean, like, a, a subsect of kicking, the sweeping, there's a lot of sweeps <laughs> in this movie. And you don't see sweeps a lot anymore either, and they're because I think they're probably kind of hard to make look yeah. on on the level. Mm-hmm. But they, uh, yeah, I forget his name again. Yu Yan, the guy who plays Mad Dog in the first one, and Koso in this one, is the the lead stunt coordinator in this movie and fight coordinator. That dude, yeah. give him all the awards because <laughs> everything this is not only photographed so effectively, but it's beautifully choreographed. I mm-hmm. feel like people who are like dancers in real life would watch this movie and be like wow yeah like well, that's absolutely remarkable because it looks so real and it's so much fun to watch it's amazing that they actually made contact with each other too i think that's very impressive mm-hmm. yeah they made contact i mean they learned they, they they trained apparently for 18 months i think just to get the fights down yeah. and, and it shows um i just want to say my favorite real quick while i get a chance um during the car chase when Eka grabs the the motorcyclist, and just ah! unloads the entire clip of an Uzi into his helmet. Yep, no, Willie nailed it. Yeah. I, actually, I liked him loading the gun with his mouth. Like, I mean, that whole sequence that is amazing. Really that, cool. The one beat of him just unloading an Uzi, and it, like, seriously, there's just stuff pouring out of the helmet by the end. It's amazing. Yeah, that was, that. that was really something. I know there was something in the final fight, right when, right when Rama uh, drove the car through the building. There was something shortly after he jumped out of the car that I remember being like, wow. Oh, there was a guy he... <laughs> There was a guy, he like, he did a bunch of crazy, there was one guy where he went totally like machine gun punching on, yeah. and then he, I think it was the same guy, or maybe it was the next one right after, but he kicked him right in the shin, and the guy 
bonked his head on a shelf behind him, and then he fell, and his face hit a curb because yep. there was a little uh, yeah. yeah there was a little loading dock area, and I was like, "Ooh, god, that was cool," because it looked so real, and yeah. I was like, "Jesus Christ!" But his like rapid fire punches are so mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Fist of Fury. Tim, did you have any special one? Quick, yeah, I, I, and I feel like we haven't touched on him too much yet, and it's actually my. Pro- maybe my favorite action scene in the entire, but Hammer Girl and then Baseball Guy, mm-hmm. the Baseball Bat Guy, the, the Hammer Girl. Like these, when you see the tra- when I saw the trailer, I, I thought to myself like, oh man, this could be just like two hours of just like wall to wall crazy insane action, and then it's not. But like the action you get, and those two characters are so outlandish, and like it, it's like they step in from like the Warriors or like a Tarantino. The Tarantino movie. Yeah, <laughs> There's like a Tarantino shot too when the Hammer Hammer Girl. Who will call? Because she has two hammers and she's amazing, and she and one eye. <laughs> yes, and one eye. By the way, she had no martial arts training before yeah. starting this movie. <laughs> That's awesome. The scene, the scene, like my favorite, and it's because it's so like I didn't know what they were gonna do. Like it's so dangerous to me. It was when she's on the train and there's like a ter- like a goofy like Tarantino like push in with like the camera like through all the guys to the guy with the computer like the guy she's yeah. trying to kill. That guy was hilarious. <laughs> it was a really funny shot of him. His reaction shot. Afterwards. As, she, as soon as she pulled up the that that photo and you see him clutching yeah, the bag in the I'm same like, pose she's immediately gonna pull it away and he's just gonna be there in that pose and i was like that's fantastic <laughs> <laughs> there were some humorous beats throughout the movie i remember yeah. i remember there being a few little jokes that i actually i, I chuckled at there's another part where well i chuckled every time it's kind of sick humor but the baseball bat guy he would just take the bat and mm-hmm. swing a baseball into some guy's head and <laughs> like that's hilarious but um, but no there's a part where hammer girl this is the other part that killed me like i laughed out loud at it it's when they go off, like, um, her buddy, bro, bro, brother, brother, brother takes her off and, like, she's just dragging the hammers behind her. You just hear the yeah. hangers hang, <laughs> just hammers hang, and it's really, it's just really funny to me. It was just so t- tiny, but those two just, I don't know, it was so cool, like, that they worked and they didn't feel out of place because they're yeah. really, they're really nuts, kind yeah. of. Mm-hmm. I mean, One, the, uh, the little character trait of the, the deaf mute. Uh, right, sister mm-hmm. and like the sign language was really cool an interesting little like he found very cool interesting little quirks about them that you're totally like oh that's neat right and you don't know their backstory and you you immediately kind of fill in some of the blanks and I think that's a little, the testament to his his skill as well mm-hmm. and, the, yeah, and their fight is really cool too the two on yeah. one with Rama so. oh that was insane I was like yeah, how is he going to make it out of this one I was going to say <laughs> Willie there is a two on one but it's on it's way to <laughs> yeah. Yeah. the other yeah it was, it was that was cool and weirdly enough the, the hallway they fight in um, it reminded me of the uh, the Dolph Lundgren Punisher movie. <laughs> like he spends like twenty minutes fighting in hallways, just totally. like that. I don't know why. It's just like, oh, hey, it's like the Punisher. I don't know. So. I I really wanted to talk very briefly about how compelling Koso's subplot was, and what a what a legitimately good actor that guy is. Yeah, I like he really they, he because Mad Dog is kind of a one note character. We're like, okay, he's just a crazy little guy who's an amazing fighter. And uh, but in this movie, they actually wrote a pretty compelling character for him. And I. I mm-hmm. It's great for the story what ends up happening, but at the same time, it's kind of a kind of a drag because I really wanted the the Koso Rama Eka team up. Like I wanted the three of them to mm-hmm. to to raid two full on. That's three raid them. three though. <laughs> Only one of them's around still. Yeah, no, they'll we, just bring Mad Dog back. I, yeah, <laughs> I can't wait to see who Mad Dog is in this one. Oh, wait, they got the third one. He was uh, he was phenomenal. Like he did a really 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 great job. The Mad Dog triplets. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! All right, any final thoughts? Nope, I feel the same way after recording this episode as I felt walking out of the theater. I'm, I'm, I have no Enjoying words. I have no words. I have no words. Completely left. satisfied. Yeah, we drained. 
It's like yeah. Thanksgiving dinner where you're just like, yeah. you can't I, really I recall what call. happened too much, but you know that you feel good. I'm, I'm really looking forward to next year's. <laughs> I'm in a kick coma right now. You're doing so much kicking. <laughs> All right. And sweeping. Like, Coast, I remember, sweeped the shit out of a guy right at the beginning, and I was like, ooh. Maybe not as much tossing in this one, like grabbing and tossing. Yeah, from the first one. Yeah, yeah, there was some. The first one seemed to have more to me, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just this one was longer, so it was more spread out. I remember, uh, <laughs> oh god, which character did it? I think maybe Rama. Maybe it was another guy. Eka, maybe? Somebody grabbed someone by like the collar and the belt and just like totally <laughs> suplexed them or something. It was, uh, I'm getting my wrestling moves confused, <laughs> but it was really just an overhand, like, yeah. like, like Mr. T style grab and just like body slam. Was that where he threw him out of the bathroom stall? There was a really good throw out of the bathroom stall, if I remember. <laughs> oh, and he threw yeah. him over the wall? Yeah, threw him over the wall. Well, and, uh, ooh, the, the, one, the one other scene... <laughs> That I really just enjoyed all around was the in like the porn den. Yeah, that was such a great. I was like, ooh, this is like some Warren Ellis Punisher stuff. Like <laughs> this is dirty and like very cool. And the, and the tense like discussion between Uko and and uh, the little uh, guy who was kind of in charge was very. And the, the fight that broke out immediately in there was very cool because there was gunplay involved and there was some fighting and. Like that that was very neat and the the little chase sequence afterwards. I was like, that was yeah. a really great scene. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that he killed everybody. He succeeded <laughs> in killing it. Literally everyone was dead. That's yeah, true. Everyone in that building was dead except for the, the movie kind of goes into like fantasy land towards the end because when Rama has the boss fight with the guy in the kitchen, like you're like, Oh my god. And then he goes in the next room and it has another like mini mini fight and yeah. it, you're just like, Oh my god, how much no, more? And that was that was interesting because I remember thinking as the the like boss fight went on in the kitchen room. I was. Is like, anyone going to check on them? What's going no, on? No, I, I was. I was basically just like, so this is somehow they're going to distill this down and make it so that the final confrontation is between more than just him. And then I was kind of like, okay, so maybe maybe Ucho's going to get something because Ucho's been betrayed, so he's yeah. probably going to have some sort of. But I thought I thought that was interesting that it, like I felt like the movie telegraphed that a little bit. Like this is so huge, and they can't get bigger than this. No. So, and I think that I think he did a good job with with that as well. It's always a tiny fear too of how is this fight scene going to end satisfactory? Because mm-hmm. when the fight scene itself is so engaging, you're like, oh, I hope the ending isn't like a total whimper. But it, it yeah, these two movies don't do that. Yeah, no, the fights end very convincingly. <laughs> yeah. The other uh, bummer about Rama kind of disappearing is the the relationship between him and Uko was getting really interesting, where they were mm-hmm. almost kind of like brothers for each other. And I, and I was kind of hoping that Uko would almost become his surrogate. Like like where uh, where he would almost almost kind of become a criminal, like he would get close to it. But Ram was such like a Captain America golden golden boy that he never really ever become. But it would have been really interesting, I think, if he and Uko had grown really close. Yeah, and then Uko had left him for dead anyway. Because I thought when Uko shot the two guys. And which is kind of, I wanted Rama to be the one to kill Bejo because he killed his brother, basically. I was like, well, it was the assassin, I guess. But uh, I thought the final conflict between Uko and uh, and Rama would have a little more conversation. Yeah. But instead they just fight each other. Which is fine. <laughs> but, uh, I know you really loved the ending. I know we're like super out of time. but We're so far out of time. <laughs> do you want to talk about the ending very briefly or no? It was great. <laughs> <laughs> it was beautiful. No, I thought I thought it was very beautiful. The music that they used and just kind of the fact that it goes silent and you don't know what that conversation is. Exactly. And uh, until you get to uh, uh, Rama's final words, just saying, "No, I'm I'm done." I'm done. I'm done. Like I was the, like, are they trying to recruit him? No, I think the guy was like, "Sorry, you gonna fight us or something?" Like, like that's kind of what I got out of it. And I don't, and I don't know if he's alive. Did he make it out? Of, did the Japanese guys let him go? 
I was I expecting know. him to just get lit up and yeah. die, and I was going to be really bummed out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to see. I was kind of thinking the same thing. I didn't want to see that, but so I wonder. I, that would have yeah. been pure, purely masochistic for the audience. Like that would have just been mean. <laughs> the uh, the IMDb trivia bring up the fact that apparently the raid three would be- begin three hours before the raid two finishes. So I don't know what that could be. I don't know. I mean, it's got to have Rama, right? So he must survive. I don't know. It doesn't. It, you know. We'll see. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Uh, so feedback at MidwestFilmNerds.com. Let us know what you thought about the raid, too. Let us know what you thought about our discussion with Stephen Tobolowsky about his uh, his fantastic stories and storytelling and mm-hmm. all of that good stuff. Write to us about something, and we might talk about it. We also now have a phone number where you can call and leave us a voicemail. That phone number is 248-7335-MFN or 248-7335-636. Please uh, call in to us. Let us know what your thoughts were on something. Try to be concise. Let us know who you are and where you're at. And uh, we'll play it on the air and respond. Um, Twitter.com slash MFN podcast. Or no. Yeah, that's right. Facebook. We have Midwest Film News Podcast. Go search us. You'll find us. Um, please rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, check out the Kickstarter video for The Primary Instinct that is David Chen and Stephen Tobolowsky's project that uh, has recently been funded that we'll be filming soon. Uh, I think there's still tickets available for their show in May 3rd, on May 3rd in Seattle. Uh, if you're out there, you should go check it out. That will be filmed for The Primary Instinct. And uh, you can follow Stephen Tobolowsky at uh, twitter.com slash Tobolowsky. That's T as in toy. <laughs> oh, B as in boy, O L O W S K Y. That's the Russian spelling. That's how he says it on uh, on the Tobolowsky files. But uh, he's a fantastic man. Go check him out. We're very, very happy that we got to talk to him. And uh, hopefully he will be back as he said he would like to come back. So uh, tell your friends about our podcast. Maybe if we get more people listening, then he will, he will want to come back even more. So. Yeah, I don't know. That's about it. At Mr. John on Twitter. Thank you for our music and artwork. And um, Kyle X Y, go watch a movie. <laughs>